All right, folks. Thanks for joining in to Defective Thoughts. I'm Dave, here to give you kind of a rundown on what I think I'm probably qualified to talk about, which is getting into colleges, especially grad school. And um, for what of you may not know, I mean, I did graduate from the University of North Carolina, Keenan Flagler Business School. I'm proud to be a Tar Heel grad school, but my undergrad was University of Pittsburgh, so I'm not out there flying the flag during March Madness for UNC. It's it's typically always going to be Pitt, and it will always be Pitt going for the foreseeable future. But when, when you think about grad school, as someone told me a long time ago, and I really take this advice when he went to UConn grad school and we went to Pitt together, and I was like, how can you go to a school that's in the same conference? You guys are rivals. And that's when he looked at me and said, it's not the same. Grad school is all about furthering your professional career. It's not about making friends to go drinking with at the ball game, even though you do that, it's just, it's not the same. And I've always kind of taken that to heart, even though there will be certain schools I can, I feel like I can never go to, um, UNC was not one of those. And when I was making the decision to go to grad school, uh, this was a long journey. It, it only took two years to complete, but it was probably 12 years in the making. So without further ado, I thought it would be good to kind of go through my trials and tribulations and hopefully you can learn from it. So kicking off the improbably qualified to talk about how to get into grad school. All right. So let's, it's, let's flash back to like 2006. Um, I'm at the university of Pittsburgh office hours. I'm, I'm helping TA a class and I'm just staring at job boards for the U S patent office. I'm a sophomore going into my junior year, and I am looking to think that I could be a patent attorney. This is something that I, I, I majored in computer science and philosophy. I was always fascinated by intellectual property. I think it's more of a calling for some people, which is I used to be a fun inventor when I was a kid, but I, I'm not great at it. <laughs> so, But I always think back on those times when I invented this stupid skateboard with a wedge in the front of it. And I called it the the picker upper. Great name, right? But it felt like even when I go to movies now and I see the FBI warning on videotapes, I'm like, man, these people are creating things that I could never dream of. And it's always, someone needs to be defending the little guy, right? Uh, no, no, it was, uh, it was not my calling. I realized pretty soon, probably about a year later that I'm finishing this course on building a messaging app with a Palm pilot. And this is how long ago that was. And I realized this is ridiculous. Like IP attorneys aren't, at least the ones I've seen, aren't the ones that are the little guys standing up for the big guys. These are a bunch of patent trolls and all the other stuff. And I, I, and while I took the philosophy degree and it helped me out tremendously, I just realized I'm not, I couldn't be that person. Uh, it wasn't about taking the LSATs. I wasn't worried about taking any type of those things, but Again, I really felt like I was setting myself up to be a patent attorney and I just, as I couldn't do it. So, you know, I think when you're looking at where you're going after school or after your work, you have to really think about what's, what's most important to you. And, and really what it came down to wasn't about being happy. It wasn't about being fulfilled. It was just really all about timing. And at that point, becoming a lawyer wasn't in the cards. However, once around 2010, where I've been working for a couple years at one of my other companies, I got the itch again. I'm going to go into that in a little bit. 
So, you know, I'm sitting there and I, I'm really thinking of how to advance my career. So I've been a programmer for about three years at this point. I'm, I'm doing okay uh, monetarily. I'm self-sufficient. I live by myself, so I'm not, I don't need roommates or I'm not living with my mom. So financially, I'm feeling pretty good. But I was at the point of if I was going to move up in my career and everyone gets into this standpoint, you're no longer going to com- be competing with the same folks that have a four-year degree. You're now going to be competing with folks that have a two-year post-grad degree, a three-year law degree. You might be even competing against folks that have their doctorate in computer science. So you really have to think about if you're going to move up in the world, what does that mean? Are you going to just, you comfortable being flat, which most people are, or some people aren't, and that's okay. I was in the latter camp. I needed to move up. I I still have this validation where I I can't be stagnant. I can't be at the same role for too long. I got to show upward trajectory. To me, that's what defines success. And I'm looking at all my peers that move around. And I realized that for them to be successful, how they were successful is like, hey, they either had an MBA, they had their master's in computer science. And I was like, all right, let's do it. Let's think about what I could be the best at. And so, you know, obviously, law degree was still on the table. I remember one of my first interview, not really my interview, but it was my first kind of meet up with my boss right after I graduated. And he was like, what do you want to be in five years? And I always told him, I was like, I I don't know. That's not fair to tell a 20 year old. What do you want to be at 25? So I told him, I was like, maybe I still want to be a lawyer. Um, Maybe I want to go back to school and be a teacher. I didn't know. And I think that's fair. And I think we all go through that. But at that point, I did have a pretty clear definition of what I wanted to be. I wanted to be a people leader. I wanted to be an innovator. I wanted to rise up the ranks to have a a cadre of minions that would help the company or help whatever I'm leading move forward. And you can't do it by yourself. So I was like, all right, let's talk about computer science. Could I be, could a master's in computer science get me there? And it, it really couldn't. It could help me probably at that point become a technical expert. It could be something that I would I, I could be okay at, um, but my path wouldn't get me there because at a certain point I was programming and I just lost, I, I lost the fun. I didn't have, I wasn't creative anymore. Plus I didn't think I could come up with a thesis in my master's computer science classes that would have made any sense. There's, I wasn't going to be the Mark Zuckerbergers of the world. So that got me down to the company I worked for was in the financial services and and really they really put a great emphasis on getting your MBA. Like if you wanted to be the leader on the business side, leader in the IT side, having an MBA really was broad enough to get you there. So I started looking at how do I get there? What, what, what would it get me to do it? And I was like, all right, I'm going to take my GMAT and then I'm going to go, or, or, you know, maybe I'll do the school's version of the MBA. They had those. Um, And, you know, I'd get my two years of free tuition, which would be great. And then I'd have my MBA by the time I'm like 26. This was a pretty easy map. Most people get their MBA by their 26. Uh, I wasn't trying to go into the top 10 of, you know, I wasn't trying to go to UPenn. I wasn't trying to go to Harvard. I was just trying to, you know, follow along. Um, But it didn't happen that way. My uh, couple things, I never took the GMAT. Uh, I never made it into the cohort program at work. And, of course, um, that really put a damper on a lot of things. So I decided, well, maybe I'll leave the company. Maybe I won't get my MBA. Maybe I'll just stay where I'm at. And I chose the latter. I decided to stay where I was at and not be better. 
uh, it wasn't for another five years till I really started getting that itch again. So, you know, it's 2015 and I had just bought a house. Um, I, I kind of felt like I was going to be in the same area for a while. So it made sense. And I realized again, I was making good enough money. Um, I was somewhat fulfilled, but I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was successful again. I still wasn't really leading people. Uh, tangentially I was, but it wasn't the same thing. So I got that itch again and I was like, all right, well, let's play the same game again. Do I want to be, get an MBA? Do I want to get my master's in computer science? Do I want to go back to law school? And it was right about that time that I got taunted by an online ad. It said, this is the online MBA program you probably can't get into. And I was like, man, that's pretty bold. Uh, online MBAs, right? This is just a, that's online schools. That's fake, right? You just a paper mill. That's funny that it was UNC because around this time there was also a scandal that they were giving out fake degrees. So, you know, it was something where I, again, I was like, that's ridiculous. I mean, I'm pretty smart. I did well on my GMAT because at this point I actually paid for the four hour exam ahead of time. Whereas in 2010, I just said, oh, I'm going to get to it. And I never did. Here, I actually had a monetary reason to do it. I paid the, the money up front and said, in three months, I'm going to take it. If no ifs, ands, or buts. Um, went on a Saturday morning and took it. Did well enough that I was like, all right, I'm going to apply brick and mortar classes. I'm going to do maybe go to Drexel. I, I had a plan. It made sense. And then that freaking marketing ad comes up and says, you're not going to get into this MBA program. So that was the first time I really started looking outside of Philadelphia region, because at this point, that's where I'm located. Um, and I, you know, I went to Pitt, so I had the Pennsylvania background and I kind of made the decision that a school like UNC made sense so that I could expand my diversity of where I could work, what I'm going to learn from. And it was exciting to go through the interview process, to pay, you know, just a, a nominal fee just to get invited to things. And that's when I was like, man, this was the best decision I, I could come up for. And, you know, I think it's one of these really interesting things that, which you'll find out, yeah, the MBA at UNC, it's, it, it was tough. It was this uh, almost identical curriculum to the, the on-campus. We had our own versions of things where we could go meet up with each other. We worked full-time, so we were, we were all stressed. We had single parents. We had multifamily parents. I mean, it was it was a lot of work. And I think I was very excited to be part of that. And it got me into thinking the next part of this wasn't just getting the degree. The next part is you have to pay for it. So one of the things that when I was in high school, someone told me was this professor, teacher, right? <laughs> kind of, man, it changes when you go to college. But so my teacher at the time, one of the girls was got into Cornell and she was like, man, I don't think I can pay for it. And Mr. Luciano looked at him and said, you know, if I ever have a kid that can get into an Ivy League school, you you go no matter what. You don't you, you deal with the fallout later. And that was when I decided even before I, I accepted the offer to UNC it was like, yeah, it's going to be one hundred thousand dollars. Even if I don't get a scholarship, even if I don't have financial aid to do it, I got to go. I, I'll figure out the stuff afterwards. It's not very it's like the exact opposite of what I've always been taught, but when you learn the benefits of an MBA post it, it's it far outweighs it. There's plenty of articles out there that say it the postgrad degree is worth it, especially as more and more folks get postgrad degrees. 
$100,000 is a pretty big upfront cost. We know it. There's cheaper programs out there. But I wouldn't trade a single minute of it for what I learned. So, I mean, when you're thinking about the financial aid, and, and now it's 2017 at this point, and I'm staring at this 10-year payback cycle, 30-year payback cycle, all these different things that are out there, I realized I had to pay it back. I, I couldn't just... Um, just couldn't forget about it. Um, so one of the things that I would recommend is do your research. You know, I was financially secure. I had a six-figure job before the MBA program. I kept it during the program. I still had it afterwards. So I, I was I was also single. So, I mean, it really wasn't a lot of – I got lucky. You know, I'm sure if I had multiple kids, if I had a family to pay after, I would I would have to think about this. So you need to think about that as well. Think about what your financial system can be. Now, the good news, I'm in a tiered program. So what that means is I'm doing a graduated step is, is really the actual term. So pay a little bit now. After two years or three years, it goes up a little bit more. Then three years, it grows up a little bit more. There's also plans that you just pay the 10 years flat, same price. There's the 30-year plans. <laughs> you basically have a mortgage. Um, there are plans that you can do income-based. And for the nonprofits of the world, this is a pretty good deal. Think about how this would work. So you do your $100,000 MBA. Let's say arguably, let's say you get no scholarships, you got to pay the whole thing off. You could do work at a nonprofit, which is really what the whole point of this is. You go to a nonprofit and maybe you're only making $60,000 a year in a good way. Maybe you're even at an executive level at a nonprofit and you're making $100,000. You can change you can make requests if your if your loan works it out that way that you want to do an income based one. So instead of paying the $980 a month or whatever $100,000 ends up being over 10 years, you would say let me just pay 10% of my income. So now you're paying in total when I say 100000 before, you know, $1,000 a year. It's great. Or sorry, $10,000 a year. Wow. Well well done, MBA math. So you're paying your $10,000 a year. And, you know, by 10 years, there now there's loan forgiveness programs. I, I know that that's in the news all the time lately where it doesn't work. But the whole point is it's supposed to work. So that was the whole goal. You know, you can, you're not paying the full tuition off. You're, you're just paying $10,000 over 10 years. You end up totally paying you know, $120,000, but arguably the loan with everything ends up being 140. So you end up getting, you save almost $20,000. So there's a hundred options out there for you. I recommend you look into it before you, you have to pay it back. Um, and most loan companies will work with you. Please do it. I, I fully recommend, you know, it's at this point, it's been two years since I've graduated. I I've, I cannot complain. I was able to change companies, change careers. I changed industries all throughout the program. I met a lot of great people. Um, we still keep in touch. It's, you know, it, it opened a lot of doors. And I think when you're thinking of any type of grad school, that's what you're looking for. You're looking for a stepping stone into opportunity, whatever that may be. Um, money be damned at this point. So I hope you enjoyed it. Good luck. Uh, if you have any other questions, you can follow me at Defective, DP. E-F-C-T-I-V-E on the Twitter. You can follow my blog at improbablyqualified at blogger.com. 
Uh, otherwise, keep up the good work. Thanks, everybody.